to this time in the service, we will bow in your presence with our hearts and minds, knowing that the potential of the next few moments is great, and knowing that you, O oh God, can do exceedingly and abundantly above all that we ask. Would you right now, O oh Lord, hallow this place with your presence, your spirit, and your power? You said your word would not return unto you void, but it would accomplish the purpose whereunto it is sent. In Jesus' name, I ask you, O oh God, that we accomplish the purpose of this message and this gathering today. That when we leave here today, we will leave here touched and inspired and encouraged and informed. Move upon us, O oh Lord, for except you touch us, we cannot receive what you want us to have. Touch our hearts, touch our minds, and touch our spirits. Help us to be attentive to the voice of the Spirit contained in the Word of God. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, Amen and Amen. Well, yesterday was a, quite an eventful day for us. We traveled down to Birmingham to the YMCA. They have a program for kids there, and Bentley plays basketball on one of the teams there at the Y downtown. Boy, that was a strange place to go, and, but we went, and uh, boy, it was quite informing. Uh, Bentley's seven-year-old, and there was a lot more seven-year-olds out there. So naturally, the game looked more like football than it did basketball. <clears throat> and uh, we know rules about dribbling and about double dribble and walking, but they just throw those out the window. And uh, strange rules about if you get a rebound, the other team has to go all the way to the other end. They just kind of customize it for kids, you know. And I was sitting up there with all of these mamas. Mamas. Mamas are great. Praise God. Mamas believe in you. Believe, they believe you're great no matter how bad you are. Mamas keep believing. Yeah. And I was sitting up there by a certain mama. Uh, not just Rachel. Lord, Rachel's a story. I could preach a sermon about Rachel, but uh, she's something to see at a ball game, I promise. But there was a, a guy out there that was the star of the team that Bentley was on. Boy, he had all kind of athletic ability. I could tell at seven years old, he's a baller. Boy, one of these days, that kid's going to get a scholarship and play somewhere, somewhere. You, you just tell the way they run down the court and the way they athletic skill, the way they pass. He didn't ever pause. He just dribbled the ball around like he, it was glued to his hand. Boy, he had good, sharp view of the court. He could see everything. He was faster, quicker more adaptive. You could tell that kid had it going on, you know. So the whole offense was throw it to him. Yeah. Pretty simple. You don't have to draw up much on the chart. Just throw it to him. Amen. But early in the game, I, I noticed he kind of had a frown on his face. And I noticed he had a, had a kind of clenched fist at times. And boy, had a lot of, seemed like pent up anger and something was really making him mad. And the referee said, hold it. Wasn't that a good whistle? <laughs> Calls this kid over and stays so, and uh, explains the way more perfectly to him and showed him where the bench was 
and said, that's where you're going to be sitting if you don't change your attitude. And I heard this mama over me holler at him and said, hey, you better straighten up your face, boy. Uh, I'm very much at home with that kind of stuff. Uh, yeah. <clears throat> well, next trip down, he goes up for a rebound. He comes down, and another little kid on the other team slapped at it, kind of missed the ball and kind of caught him on the wrist a little bit. And he turns around Charles, and next thing I know, it's... <laughs> Woo. Boy, faster than a speeding bullet. Able to leap tall buildings. That mama went by me in a hurry. And brother, before the referee could throw him out of the game, that mama was out there straddling him. I never will forget as she was leading him to a private place where she could express her opinion about his behavior more completely. What in the world was you thinking? Here, it, it made me laugh. She said, hey, you better come to yourself, boy. I've not heard that. I didn't know what that meant, but uh, for church, somebody told me what that was all about. You better come to yourself. No matter what kind of delusion you're under, you better clear up the fog and get it cleared up quick. And she took him somewhere. And she came back, but he never did. So I don't know, I need to probably check and see what she did with him because she put him somewhere and I didn't see him no more. Ooh. And I said, thank God that that boy's got a mama because no matter how much talent and ability he's got, no matter how great an athlete he is, no matter how wonderful potential he has for the future, no matter what a great player he's going to be, he's never going to amount to anything until he corrects that attitude. And he better thank God he's got a mama like he's got that won't let him behave like a heathen, that'll call his hand when he acts like that. Amen. The Bible said that if you wouldn't correct a child, you hated it. I'm sorry. That's just what it says. So I kind of came home yesterday kind of thinking, wow, boy, what a, what a morning. You know, I, I, I didn't care much about the basketball game because of all that drama that went on. Let me get on Facebook. You can't believe what I saw today. I bet my drama will outdo your drama. I can tell a better story than you can. Don't put a picture of your food on there listening to my drama story. There's a scripture in Psalm 119 and 59 where David, that guy we preached about last week, he said this, I thought on my ways and then I turned my feet unto thy testimonies. I thought about my ways. Have you ever had one of those times when you thought about your ways? Has there ever been a, a time of meditation with God where you were the subject and the, your behavior was the point and you realized that God was not really pleased with you? You know what that's called? Conviction. Conviction. 
When God convicts us, brother, he kind of disturbs and stirs up things in our innermost being, our heart, the heart. And, you know, the Bible says in Proverbs 4 and 23, keep thy heart with all diligence. Keep your heart. Why do I need to keep my heart? Because it's under attack. Why is my heart under attack? Because you've got an adversary. And because the adversary, your enemy, is loose and he's seeking whom he may destroy. And his plan is to destroy and kill and rob from you. Everything good that God wants you to be, there is an enemy that opposes every bit of that. For this church, there is an enemy that is scheming and conniving right now to stop you from doing what God wants you to be and do. There is an enemy that all of us have, not just individually, but corporately. There is an an individual that is assigned from Satan himself that is on assignment to buffet and to give blow after blow after blow. And if we allow it, that thing will stop us dead still in our tracks. Stop you dead still. So that's why you have to keep your heart with all diligence. Why? For out of it are all of the issues of life. The issues of life. Well, what I've come here to tell you today is, as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. It's at the heart. The heart is the heart of the matter. It really goes on in your heart and in your mind. You remember last Sunday when David was lying on the ground and when he was so miserable, he couldn't be encouraged. Nobody could get him up. But there came a time when he got up without anybody asking him to. And it came about when he perceived, when he thought right. He didn't say anything. He just looked around and he saw other people and he saw the sadness on their face, their countenance. You mean my countenance is important? Yes. You mean how I look matters? You better straighten up your face. Yes, it does matter because your countenance is a reflection of your heart's condition. The Bible says, a merry heart worketh good like a medicine. But if your heart is not a merry heart, and it's a sad heart, or a mad heart, then your facial expression shows that. Your countenance shows that. Now, some folks poke out their lip. Some folks sigh. (laughs) But by your countenance, you can let folks kind of know what's in your heart. And what's in your heart really matters because out of your heart, the mouth speaks and the issues are given life. You see, thoughts turn into action when you accept and act upon what has been said to you or told to you or what you see. For you see, the heart has windows. You see and you hear. Those are the ports into your spirit person, into your inner self. What you hear 
and what you see because that's what you learn. And what you learn determines how you feel. Amen. When David perceived that their countenance told him that child is dead, number one. The finality, the reality of things. Second, he perceived another thing. God has done what he said he was going to do. God is just and God is right and God has done what he said he would do. Third perception is I've got to change my goals. My goal now becomes that I've got to live in such a manner as I will be qualified and eligible to go to where that child has gone. I perceive now, I'm thinking right now, I see the big picture. It's not about few minutes with Bathsheba. It's about living for God so I can go to heaven. It's not about appeasing my wants and my desires and my fleshly appetite. It's about going to be where my child is. My whole goal, my whole ambition has become now to go to where that child is. I can't bring that child back, but I can go to where that child is. I can live a life of faith and God can help me and I can fix this by going to where the child is. That tells me something very important. If that child is in heaven and you're going to recognize that child when you get there and you're going to heaven so you can be with that child, that tells us something about like what heaven is going to be like. Because when I get to heaven, then my loved ones that I expect to see are going to be there. And this, we call it a paracope in theology, this paracope or this group of the scriptures right here tell us that in heaven we know what relationship we had on earth and we know in heaven who our child and who our people are. And someone would say, well, pastor, how can I be happy in heaven knowing that my child or my husband or my neighbor didn't go to heaven? How will heaven be heaven for me? The Bible says the righteous are in everlasting remembrance. But with the wicked, it is not so. So if they're not in lasting remembrance, they're in lasting forgetfulness. So then heaven will be heaven for you because you won't ever remember the evil or the people that didn't make it. Because they're not in everlasting remembrance. The righteous are in everlasting remembrance, but the wicked are not. Did that answer a question for somebody? I hope it did, because David said, I'm going to heaven because my baby's going to be there. I want to go to heaven. I'd like to bring that child back, but I can't bring the child back, but I can go to heaven where my child has gone. Praise God. Isn't that something? That God has fixed it so that we can go to be with our loved ones. That mindset is so powerful in every one of us. Your perception is what you give people when they ask you, what are you thinking? Your worldview. What is your worldview? My worldview is I'm a pilgrim and a stranger. I'm passing through. I'm on my way. Woo! On my way. I tell folks when, I, when they're about to pass, I said, if you see somebody I know, tell them I'm on my way. Tell them I'm on my way. Praise God. I'm on my way. Praise the Lord. I'm on my way. 
If you don't go, it won't hinder me. I'm on my way. If daddy don't go, it won't hinder me. I'm on my way. If mama don't go, it won't hinder me. I'm on my way. I'm on my way. Though I wade through deep waters, I'm on my way. Though I have to walk through the violence of fire, I'm on my way. Though I have to endure bad things at times, I'm on my way. Because I've started for heaven and I'm going through. I'll take the way with the Lord's despised few. Hey, I've started for heaven and I'm going. I'm going. I'm going. Praise God, I'm going. I hope you want to go too. That's the perception. That's our, our worldview. That's who we are. And it's what, what we're about. So when somebody asks you, what are you thinking? Say, I'm thinking about going to heaven. I'm thinking about this world is not my home. I'm, I'm thinking about going to be with my loved ones and going to be with Jesus because that's my goal for my life. I'm living for the day that I can go to be with Jesus and be with my loved ones, and I wish the Lord would come today. And that's our, our worldview. You see, Satan will always bring a thought to destroy you. Whatever the devil's plan is to destroy you, it starts with a thought. Mm. Satan cannot take away anything that God has given you. I'm going to say that again. Satan cannot take away anything that God has given you. Then what keeps me from having it? You're just not thinking right. Your thoughts aren't right. The only thing that's preventing you from having what God wants you to have is believing that you can have it, is accepting the fact that God wants you to have it. Why is it so important that our heart is involved? Because it's the seat of your emotions and it's the seat of cognitive understanding. It's the center of your belief system. It's where faith dwells. You know what I like to call it? I like to call the heart and faith my immune system. I've got an immune system. Have you got one? It's what I know is true. I know the Bible is true. I know the devil is a liar. I know that faith in God pays dividends. I know that obedience is better than sacrifice. I know to trust the Lord with all your might. I know to walk by faith and not by sight. I, I know those things. And that builds up an immunity in me that helps me to rid myself of thoughts that you can't do this. You're not good enough. You're not talented enough. You're, you're not able. You're not going to make this. That's not going to come true. This isn't going to happen. You can pray about it all you want to. Fast all you want to. Claim the name of Jesus all you want to. That's not going to happen. Hey, how do you fight that stuff off? Because sometimes I get caught between thoughts. Sometimes on one side of me, God says, you can and there's another side of me that wants to whisper in my ear, you're not going to make it. That's not for you. 
Come on, somebody. You don't act like you don't have that either. You got it too, I know. Because when you get caught between those two things and you're, you're struggling to believe God while God is, you're reading God's Word, and God's Word is saying things of faith to you. There's, there's that little, little devil sitting on your shoulder saying, no, nah, that's not going to happen. The Word of God's not true. You don't have to believe God. You don't, you don't need to trust God. It happens for other people, but it's not going to happen for you. And you're caught in between. Choose you this day whom you will serve. Whose report will you believe? We shall believe the report of the Lord. His report says, I am blessed. His report says, I am healed. His report says, I am saved. His report says, my name's in the book of life. His report says, I'm a victor, not a victim. His report says, I'm an overcomer. His report says, I am more than a conqueror through Jesus Christ who loved me and gave himself for me. I'm going to believe the report of the Lord. Well, hallelujah, hallelujah. Romans 10 and 10, for with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. With the heart man believes, and with the mouth confession is made. How are those two connected? Then if you are who you're supposed to be, you'll say it like you're supposed to say it. When people stumble over the issue of salvation, they're uncertain. The Bible said, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Are you saved? Do you know that you're saved? Then you ought to say so. You ought to say so. You ought to act so. You ought to believe so. You ought to worship so. Praise God. I'm not an illegitimate child in God's house this morning. I didn't come here to be approved of or disapproved of. Praise God, when I walked in this house, I come to my father's house. I'm a child of God. I've got a right to be here. I've got a privilege to be here. He invited me. He said, come boldly into my presence. Come boldly into the throne of grace. Come boldly, get your needs met. Come boldly and lift up holy hands unto God. Come boldly into the house of God. You don't have to squirm around and squeak around. Praise God, you belong here. This is God's house. Confess it. Mouth you confess what your heart believes. With the heart, man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth, confession is made. Praise God. You ought to tell people what God has done for you. Our testimony depends upon the condition of your heart. David's testimony informs us of the importance of believing that you can win against impossible odds. When he walks out there in the valley of Elah and Goliath is standing there threatening him, you have to ask him, what were you thinking? I'll tell you what he was thinking. He was thinking the God who has delivered the bear and the God who delivered the lion, the God who in my past has always come to my aid and my rescue, the God who has wrought great miracles when I obeyed him. I'm out here obeying him today, and I am so confident that I'm going to win this battle. 
Uh, it's like it was already done. It's like it was already finished. It's like it was already over. The book's already been written and the cover's been closed. It's a done deal, David said. I'm a winner, not a loser. That's what he's thinking. What, uh, I want to get a hold of Peter sometime and ask him, what were you thinking when you climbed over the bow of that boat? Can you imagine this? When he met Jesus, when he met Jesus, he's just a peasant fisherman. He's just a, a vagabond fisherman in Bethsaida. But Jesus said, lend me your boat. I need a pulpit, Jesus said. Brother, anytime you give something to Jesus that he asks you for, he's about to fill it up with blessing. And when Jesus got through preaching, he said, let your net down for a drought. Come on. Let your net down. And he said, Lord, it's not the good time of year to be fishing. We're not catching much these days. Things are hard around the fishing camp. We're spending more time at home than we are out on the lake. It's bad time and all like that. But at thy word, you put a thought in my head. And in my mind, I can see gnats and they're full of fish. You planted a seed in my mind that caused me to think of something happening that would benefit me at thy word. Brother, that's what I do Sunday after Sunday. I try to plant a seed in your heart and a seed in your mind so that God can open up a door and bless you and touch you and meet your needs and heal your body. God can do something encouraging in your life. When? When somebody plants a seed that becomes a thought. A seed that becomes a thought. Brenda, my sister, was working at Ford Motor Credit for many years there in the Huntsville area. She had a precious little African-American lady that worked with her. Her name was Marcel. And we took one of our prayer cloths here, and we sent it over to Brenda. And she would keep it with her. And Marcel told her, she said, Brenda said, I, I, I've had a, a bad report from the doctor, and, and I, I, I don't know how it's going to turn out. And Brenda said, well, I'll just tear my prayer cloth in two for you, and I'll give you half of mine. So Brenda tore it in two and gave it to her Amy, and she started wearing it. And when she went back to the doctor, the doctor said, I don't know who diagnosed you, but somebody has missed your diagnosis terribly. You don't have any cancer. Anywhere about your body. I, I know a God who redoes diagnoses, aren't you? Well, Marcel's uncle up in Chicago called her and told her that he'd been diagnosed to being terminal with a disease. He's very sad. And Marcel said to him, Michelle said, well, said my good friend Brenda, said her brother's a preacher over in Aniston. And they gave her a prayer closet and she tore it in two. 
and said, I, I, I wore that for so long and said, got a good doctor's report and I am cancer free. He said, why don't I just tear mine in two and send it to you and said, you can pin it on your clothes or put it in your pillowcase or do whatever you want to do with it. He said, I'll send you half of mine. And Marcel come in to work one day and she was just glowing. She said, Brenda, you are not going to believe what my uncle called and told me. Said his report came back and there was no cancer in his report. See, what I'm trying to tell you is somebody's got to plant a seed, a thought. It's got to be a thought before you take action and you start believing upon that thought. As a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. You got to get your thought right. You got to get your issues all under control of the Holy Spirit. Got to get your mind under the dominance. Take every thought captive that is disobedient and put it under the obedience. Submit it to the Lord Jesus Christ. Make it submit to Jesus. Say, thou thought of all, all that you're going to do to me and that thought of poverty and that thought of illness and that thought of, of all the bad things that can happen. I'm going to put you over here at the feet of Jesus. I'm going to submit you to obedience to Jesus. Whatever Jesus does with you, that's what your outcome's going to be. Wow. Numbers 13 and 30. We find the people of Israel, and they finally made it over to Kadesh on the plain of Paran, and they might finally ready to go into the promised land. Finally ready to go in and get what God has promised. Uh, Lord, I preached it so many years ago here, a series on possess your possessions. God promised it, and here they are camped at Kadesh, plain of Paran. And the Bible said, that Moses said, we need to send in some spies and spy out that land. Uh -huh. You want to read it? Let's read it. And Caleb stilled the people before Moses, and he said, let us go up at once and possess that land, for we are well able to overcome it. Yeah. Well, those spies had come back, Carlos, and, and yeah. 10 of them said, man, that's a bad place. Oh, yeah, they, they've got grapes and they've got honey. We went to the honeycomb and we robbed the bees and we brought back all the tubs of honey and we went over there to the vines and the vineyards and we got cut down grapes and put them on a pole and carried them on our shoulder and they dragged the ground, they're so great. Oh, it's a great place. But I'm going to tell you, there's some bad people lives over there. There's some giants of Anak over there and there's some warlike people and their cities are, are fenced in. And it's not going to be easy to go over there and fight against those Amorites and Parasites and those Jebusites and all of those people that inhabit that place. It's going to be bad. And we are like grasshoppers in our own sight. And they believe we're grasshoppers too. It's not enough that you think you're a grasshopper, but everybody else thinks you're a grasshopper too. I guess you've hopped around like a grasshopper so long that they just concluded you're a hopper. I guess your countenance was grasshopper-like so long until they just wrote you off as a grasshopper. Any grasshoppers here today that people's wrote off and said, my Lord, he's just a grasshopper. Grasshopper in your own sight. What in the world does that mean? 
That means all of God's people was walking around defeated. Defeated, pessimistic. And the Bible called their report an evil report. Don, why in the world? They accurately described the place. It wasn't a lie. It was the truth. But why in the world did God say it's evil? Boy, that got your attention, didn't it? If it's the truth, why was it evil? Because it lacked faith. It lacked willingness to move at God's urge and God's unction. And then we've got this, this old guy, Caleb. Thank God for the Calebs of this world. He's like that little choo-choo train that says, I think I can, I think I can, I think I can, I think I can. Because if you think you can, the devil's going to have a tough time handling you. Because if you believe that all things are possible to people who believe, then the devil's going to have a tough time with you. I, I tell you what, I want the devil to know he's got a time with me. I want the devil to know I'm not just an ordinary fight of his. Hey, I'm prepared for him. I want the devil to know that at least I'm, I'm around somewhere. Do you remember when those devils that were sons of Siva, they went over, they prayed for a man, said, in the name of Jesus, whom Paul preaches, come out. And the devil came out, Charles, and looked at these guys and said, we know Paul. Paul has caused us a lot of trouble. Brother, Paul is one of those fellows that you just don't want to get in a fight with him. Paul is one of those guys, brother, he'll, he'll, he'll batter you up. Paul is one of those guys that'll make you leave where you think you've got a dwelling place. Paul is one of those guys that'll command you and you got to do what he tells you to do. Paul, I know, and Jesus, I know. We remember that day over there at Gadara when he came ashore and cast legions out of a man. We know Jesus. We know about him. We know about Jesus when that little boy that his disciples couldn't heal him and he was vexed with an evil spirit and Jesus said, come out of him. We know this Jesus, but we don't know you. We don't know you. Brother, I would pray to God that we would be so effective in, in doing the Lord's will that the devil would at least know who we are. I would to God that we were doing so much to change things for God and so much to win people to God that the devil would know, hey, you mess with harvest and you messing with some folks that will fight you. You mess with harvest and you messing with some people that's got a vision. You mess with harvest and you've got to mess with people that's got a mission. And they're committed and they're dedicated and they're prayed up and they've fasted and they, they've got power with God and they pray red hot prayers and they pray prayers that touch heaven. They speak to people about what God can do. They preach a good gospel. Hey, you don't want to tangle with that bunch over harvest. They'll kick you and run you off. Glory to God. You remember when Jacob wrestled with that angel all night long? I like to think there's some folks around Harvest that are angel wrestlers. Any angel wrestlers around here? No, Brother Jerry, I don't want to fuss with an angel. Oh, Brother Lee Brasher, he used to preach about that angel and trying to get 
Jacob to let him go, Brother Ford. And he said, it's about to be dawn of the day. I need to go. And day, Jacob said, I'm not going to turn you loose until you bless me. You're not getting out of here. I'm hanging on to you. You're in a fight for your life, man. You're either going to bless me. And the Bible said that the angel touched him in his thigh and dislocated his hip. And he walked with a limp the rest of his life. But he wouldn't let that angel go. Glory to God. And the Bible said, and that angel finally gave in, Carlos, and blessed him. And Brother Brasher used to tell this, and he'd say, I see that angel when he goes into heaven reporting back to God, and he's got a broke wing. Got a wing hanging down and sprained his ankle. And he wobbles in and he gets over around the throne room and he says to God, God, anytime you want waters rolled back, I'll roll them back for you. Anytime you want the moon and the stars to move, I'll move them for you. Anytime you want some spectacular deed done, I'll do it. But please don't send me around that Jacob guy no more. Wouldn't it be good if we had people that would hold on to God, that would prevail in prayer, that would trust God that he can do revival, he can bring revival, he can bring salvation, he can bring Holy Spirit baptism, he can bring power that would heal people's bodies. Wouldn't it be great if we'd hold on to God until God rained down righteousness upon us. Hey, I don't care if you do have to limp the rest of your life. And so there goes that limping preacher. That limping preacher that spent the night in prayer and got the blessing. Hey, I'd rather limp my way into heaven as to burn out here on some isolated place. I'd rather go to heaven a limping, wouldn't you? Glory to God. Hallelujah. For everybody that tells you you can make it, you'll have several that'll tell you why you can't. Caleb said, we can do it. Verse 31 said, but the men that went up with him said, we be not able to go up against those people. They are stronger than we are. Well, you was beat before you ever started. You made an estimation of the enemy and determined they'll whip us. They're bigger than we are. And they brought up an evil report. Look at verse 32. An evil report of the land which they had searched under the children of Israel, saying, that land, though we be gone to search it, is a land that's eaten up with inhabitants. And all the people we saw are men of great stature. And there were giants and sons of Anak, which came of the giants. And we were in our own sight like grasshoppers. Listen. God may have a minority, but that minority can become a majority if they believe that God can do it. That's the first thought that's got to be in your mind. We can do it. We can overcome. We can win this thing. We can do this. God, the devil will always bring a thought to destroy you, and God will always bring a thought to deliver you. Deuteronomy 20, verse 1 through 4. God says this. Listen to what God says to him. 
when thou goest out to battle against your enemies and you see the horses and you see the chariots and a people more than you, don't be afraid of them. For the Lord thy God is with thee, which brought thee up out of the land of Egypt. And it shall be when you are come nigh unto the battle that the priest shall approach and speak to the people and shall say unto them, Hear, O Israel, ye approach this day to battle against your enemies. Let not your hearts faint. Fear not. Do not tremble. Neither be terrified because of them. You mean the devil would want to terrorize us and terrify us? You mean the devil would want to say mean things to us and about us to stop us? You mean the devil would like to take us out? Verse 4. For the Lord your God is he that goeth with you. God is going with you. God is going to be in this fight with you. Not only is he going to go with you, look at the rest of it. He will fight for you against your enemies to save you. If you don't go with God, you won't make it. But if God goes with you, he'll defeat your enemies and he'll save you. Look at verse 8 now. And the officers shall speak further unto the people and they shall say this. What a man is there that is fearful and faint-hearted. Let him go and return to his house, lest his brethren's heart faint as well as his. You mean a fainting heart is contagious? You mean I can catch it? How can I catch a fainting heart. Someone with a fainting heart gives it to you. You caught it from somebody that had a fainting heart, that was defeated, that didn't believe anything could be done. And the first thing you would have done is said, Hey, ho, hold it right there. I got an immune system. My immune system's, uh, uh, the red light's on, the siren's on, the, the light's blinking. Uh, I'm in danger. I'm the presence, in the presence of something that's going to mess me up. I don't need to get around here around a faint-hearted person that doesn't believe. And what that Bible says, it said, tell that man that's got a faint heart to go home. Don't hang out here. Why? Because somebody will catch it. Now, what if you were sitting beside somebody today that's going, achoo. <coughs> he said, oh, let me get away from here. I don't want to catch that. Amen. Don't want to catch that. Brother, wouldn't it be good if you'd run from negative pessimism Amen. like you run from somebody with the flu? Don't let me catch that. You will always, come on, help me quit. You will always have contradiction. There will always be contradiction. The truth is all of us are caught between these two thoughts I told you about. 
Yes, even while I'm preaching this message, I have those contradictory thoughts. Well, I wonder what, what he's thinking. I wonder what she's thinking. I wonder what he's... Somebody looks like he wishes we, he is out of here. <laughs> All of those contradictory thoughts. And if you let those thoughts dominate, they will paralyze you. And you'll sit and do nothing because your thoughts are terrorizing you. Again, it was not giants that prevented them from going in. What was it that prevented them from going in? It was their thoughts. It was what they thought because of what they heard. Somebody told them something and they didn't have faith to go in. It's possible to be stopped by giants, not because they're bigger and stronger than you, but because of your thoughts. The devil always attacks you in the area where your mindset and your thought is. You see, God knows that people who have one mind and one accord, they can accomplish great things. When he looked at that Tower of Babel in Genesis chapter 11, God himself said, what will they do? Because they all were of one mind and one accord. Brother, if that day ever happens, I don't think it's ever happened in the modern church, but if that day ever happens, look out, devil. Look out, devil. Because, boy, you're talking about strongholds being torn down. You're talking about revival. If the church ever gets to that place that they're of one mind and one accord, then there are going to be great things that's going to happen. But that, listen to what the Bible said. So God turned them away. God said, then you can't go into the promised land. Why? Because of the way you think. Because of the way you think. And God turned them away and sent them back into the wilderness to wander for 40 more years until a generation died out. Got your seatbelt buckled? When I read that, that God turned them away, the Holy Spirit quickened my heart, and I fell to my knees, and I said, God, how many times have you turned me away from something you had that was wonderful for me, something you had that was wonderful for my life, but you turned me away because of the way I thought? How many times have I been on the border of a blessing? How many times have I been on, a, on the edge of a breakthrough? How many times have I been at the very point of experiencing a manifestation of the power and the Spirit of God, but I was turned away because of what I thought? How many times has Harvest been to the edge of the promised land and was turned away because of the way we thought? Boy, it's quiet in this house. How many times have we been at that great place of breakthrough? How many times has it been that we've been at the very point of realizing the possession and possessing our possession and being that unique people, that peculiar people of God, but we're turned away because of what we thought? What we thought? 
we sometimes call how we think, how we feel. How we feel. Well, I want to tell you, feelings are very deceptive. Are you hearing this, preacher? Feelings are very deceptive. Feelings will cause you to do some things you don't need to do. Feelings will cause you to say some things you don't need to say. Feelings will cause you to think something's right when it's not really right at all. Feelings will carry you down a path you don't want to go. Feelings. Don't let your feelings tell your spirit man what to do. Think spiritual thoughts. Ephesians 3 and 20. Now to him that is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or... Did you say think? You mean God is able to do more than I can think? You mean God does not have any parameters or limitations as far as doing? If I can think it, God can do more. Wow. You mean my imagination? As far as I can imagine, God can do more than that? Yes. And listen, if I can think it, if you can think it, God can do it. He's able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we think or ask. Wow. Here's another one. Our thoughts are open to the eyes of God. Oh, no, Pastor. Nobody knows what I think, do they? Well, God does. God does. In Job 42 and 2, our thoughts are open to the eyes of God. Wow. I know that thou canst do everything and that no thought can be withholden from thee. You mean God, when I kneel down to pray, knows what I'm thinking? You mean when I'm driving down the road, God knows what I'm thinking? You mean when I'm up here with a microphone singing, God knows what I'm thinking? You mean when I'm over there playing that instrument that God knows what I'm thinking? You mean God knows when I go get in the car to drive away from here what I'm thinking? The Bible said thoughts are not hid from God. That all things, the Bible said, lie naked before the eyes of him with whom we have to do. Our thoughts can be brought under the submission of Christ. If we repent, evil thoughts can be forgiven. Did you know that guy that thought he could buy the Holy Ghost? When he went to Paul, he said, I, I would love to buy this power that you've got. It's bound to be a good investment, bound to be a moneymaker, so I want to buy it. How much do you want for it? And Paul said, sir, go and pray and repent that my God would forgive you from those thoughts. What does that tell me? That means God can forgive me for thoughts I ought not to have. Amen. That means that God has forgiveness for people who ask him. That means that God can deal with my issues and God can deal with my stinking thinking because he forgives it if we repent of it. If we repent of it. If we repent of our evil, God will heal us of that Evil thought. One thought, our thought, life is to grow. Do you still think small? 
Do you ever wonder what it would be like to think large? Listen to what the Bible said in 1 Corinthians 13, 11. When I was a child, I spake as a child. I understood as a child. I thought like a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. I don't think like a kid anymore. I don't think childish things. You don't have to worry about the future. Take no thought for tomorrow, for the morrow shall take thought for the things of itself. Sufficient for the day is the evil thereof. If you are where you need to be with God and you've got the Holy Spirit in your life, you don't have to meditate about the threat of what might happen to you. Mark 13, 11, But when they shall lead you and deliver you up, and take no thought beforehand what you will speak, neither do you meditate. But whatsoever shall be given you in that hour, that speak ye, for it is not ye that speak, but the Holy Ghost. Wow. What a privilege to have the Holy Spirit in our lives to help us think right. Stand with me, please. Well, Pastor, how do I change my thinking? How do I change the way I think? How do I change my feelings? How do I change my attitude? Well, first you do what we just said, you repent. First you tell God, God, I'm sorry for having bad feelings. I'm sorry for having unfaithful thoughts. I'm sorry for thinking like a loser and not a winner. I'm sorry for not believing you like I should. I'm sorry for not leading and imparting into other people's life positive things. I'm sorry for sharing my negativism with somebody else and them catch it from me. I'm sorry for that. I'm sorry, Lord, for having feelings that hurt hurt somebody else and hurt me to feel the way I do. I'll tell you this and then we'll go. I heard of a church one time and they got in a fuss and they were all divided and one side sat on this side one side sat on that side. And if that side went to the choir, we used to go to the choir. If that side went to the choir, that side wouldn't. They'd sit right there. And if that side went to the choir, this side would sit right here. If this side went to the altar, that side wouldn't. If that side went to the altar, that side wouldn't. They weren't even speaking. And one Sunday morning, while the pastor was trying to open up Sunday school in the church, they were singing the opening hymn. And there was a little old lady in that church. She wasn't vocal. She wasn't loud. She wasn't somebody you'd notice. But she was somebody that got under a burden. And she started praying. I said she started praying. And when she started praying, she started fasting. She'd been fasting for about three weeks and she was very weak. Hardly able to even stand and reached to the pew in front of her and pulled up to that pew. While they were singing that hymn, a man on this side walked over and he put his arms around a guy on this side 
and hugged him and he said, I'm sorry that I've acted like I've acted and I'm sorry that I've thought the things and had the feelings I've had and I want you to forgive me for that. And they knelt in the altar. So then somebody from this side got up and walked over and hugged somebody and they went to the altar together. Next thing you know, they're all in the altar. And they're all praying. They said, well, what we need to do is have revival. Let's call an evangelist and get an evangelist to come and let's have revival. So a neighboring pastor, Mark, came in to preach a few nights for him. And God gave him a glorious revival. Souls got saved and people got blessed and people got healed. And at the close of the revival, the visiting pastor was walking out and somebody said, thank you so much, sir, for coming and preaching for us this week. My, you sure did bring revival with you and thank God for what you preached here this week. It transformed this church. And that visiting pastor said, hold it, wait a minute, right there, stop right there. Sure wasn't anything I preached. And it sure wasn't anything I did. He said, if you want to find out why the revival happened, you'll have to look to a little old lady that got under a burden and fasted and prayed until God sent healing and revival. And I'll close with this. If my people, not anybody's people, but God's people, if my people who are called by my name shall humble themselves and pray, then will I hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and I will heal their land. My Lord, I pray that that kind of spirit would rest upon everyone in this house today. I actually pray that God would send such a burden and such conviction upon this church that you would pray under a spirit of conviction that you'd go to your place that you go to when you really get down to business with God and say, God, we need you like we've never needed you before. And I'm going to tell you, folks, between now and rapture day, there's going to be some tough, tough times out there in front. And the church is going to be tested and people that believe in the truth and the Bible are going to be tried and tested for what you believe. And it might be that in my lifetime, it might come to that, that you have to give a sacrifice for what you believe. When that day comes, when that day comes, when they were gathering people through all of Ephesus and they got the bishop and they found Polycarp and they brought him out in the middle of town and they stacked wood around him and put him at a stake and tied him to the stake and said, we'll turn you loose and let you go if you'll just deny Jesus. He said, my God has never done me anything but good. My God has brought me nothing but peace in my life and blessedness in the spirit. And I count myself happy today to die for him because he died for me. Whew. Great God, I wish we had an attitude like that, don't you? I wish we had that kind of thinking. I wish we had that kind of feeling. He died for me, I'll die for him. God, help us to have that. Ready to pray? God, in Jesus' name, I come to you from everybody in this house. Thank you for the conviction to preach this morning that what, what we think and the way we think, that's what we are and it's who we are. And God, you can help us today 
through the word of God to come to a greater realization of faith than we've ever had before. Because it's not by power and it's not by might, but it's by my spirit, saith the Lord of hosts. God help harvest to get it through our head that all of our organizing and all of our efforts are in vain if the spirit does not motivate us to do and be what we are. Touch us today, O God. Lord, let revival come to this church. Let souls, O Lord, gather in these altars and pray until they feel that God has forgiven their sin. God, may people who are addicted to various things come to this altar and receive freedom and liberty from their addiction. May people, O Lord, with bodies that are diseased come forward and be healed of whatsoever disease that they have. May people who have problems in their homes and troubles in their family and troubles in their marriage come, O God, and find peace and and reconciliation and healing through the power of the blood of Jesus. Help us to think like that, God so that you can be free to do what you do. I love you, Lord. I praise you, God. Could you give about 30 seconds of the best praise you got before we leave this morning?